Uh, good evening, everyone. It's lovely to see everyone here tonight, and special welcome if you're uh, listening online. Great to uh, great to have you with us. Um, now, before we uh, before we start, um, I've got one notice for you. As Steve reminded us this morning, uh, the candlelit carol service is at six thirty next Sunday evening, and everyone is welcome. Don't forget to invite your friends and neighbours, and as well as sharing on your social media as well. Uh, also, the family service is on the following Sunday, December the 19th, and that starts at 10.30. Now, if memory serves me correct, uh, a year ago this weekend was the first weekend we'd come out of another lockdown after missing another month of church, and uh, I remember just how much we all appreciated being back together again, um, and I hope we can continue a year later uh, to pray that we'll still have that same love and appetite for meeting together. Um, as, as we have the joy of doing tonight. And uh, so as we're reminded in Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Well, let us come into his presence. We're singing now as we praise him for who he is and what he's done. We've got the added joy tonight of having the music group with us. And um, we're going to sing, Come praise and glorify our God, the Father of our Lord. In Christ he has in heaven, heavenly realms his blessings on us poured. Let's stand and worship.
pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you tonight, we thank you so much for another Lord's Day where we've been able to stop what we're doing and take a thought for you and to have a rest for our bodies and our minds and even more so our souls. And we thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity to come and worship you in peace. And as we gather, Lord, we know we've got little to no threat at all of uh, any opposition coming our way. But Lord, we uh, we pray that you will help us to make the most of these times together. We pray, Lord, that you will give us uh, the uh, such a, a love for being able to come together and meeting with you. And Lord, we pray that as we gather, we will have your spirit with us, moving among us, teaching us, and uh, and uh, guiding us in, the, in your word. Lord, we thank you so much for all the, the way that you lead us on. We thank you, Lord, for an, for an open church that we can come in and have the word faithfully spoken to us. And Lord, uh, we know that many of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world can't benefit from um, such a pleasure. And so we pray for a truly thankful heart. It's something, Lord, that we can easily grow used to. But we pray that um, by your mercy you will teach us and make us truly thankful for this blessing. And Lord, we pray that um, you will uh, help John tonight as he speaks to us from your word again. We pray for special strength for him. And we ask, Lord, that our hearts and our ears might be ready to listen to your word, to take it in and to respond respond to it. And Lord, may the words that he speaks be something that encourages us in our Christian life and on our journey of faith. We thank you so much, Lord, for all the blessings that you pour down on us day to day. So many things that we don't even ask for, so many things that we don't even consider. Yet, Lord, in your goodness, you, you provide every blessing. You know what we need better than we do. And we thank you for your love and your care. Lord, we don't deserve the slightest ounce of your goodness. But, Lord, you pour blessings upon us more than we can ever imagine. And we, while we thank you, Lord, for the way that our lives are, are comfortable, and we thank you for the blessings that we have, the freedoms that we have to enjoy so many things in this world, Lord, ne- help us to never use them as a gauge of your blessing, but we may we rest only in the love of Jesus Christ and his saving work. I pray, Lord, that that will be the most important thing to us, and that, Lord, there will be nothing that gets in our way of serving you and knowing you better. Lord, we pray for a hunger and an urgency in our souls that we might follow after Jesus like nothing else. I pray, Lord, for those who haven't yet turned to you, that those who haven't responded to your call. And Lord, in Rooted this morning, we were looking at how you restore blessings um, to those that return to you and who have repented. And so, Lord, we pray that that, we might take that to heart, each of us tonight, that we might stop and make sure we are are God-facing and that we will return to you and you will restore all the blessings of your people. Lord, we thank you as we come up to this Christmas time that we have the opportunity to um, invite friends and family along to share the good news of Jesus. Lord, it's such a privilege to be someone who can who can bear the good news. And uh, Lord, we pray we, will, we won't let you down in that respect and that we will do so joyfully. Lord, we've got such wonderful news to share, life-changing, life-saving news. And uh, Lord, we pray that we might do so boldly. We won't be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Lord, we will proclaim it boldly and loudly 
for all to hear. Oh, for Lord, we know that there are many souls who reject you, many souls who never even heard of you. We pray, Lord, that we will be useful in your kingdom and that you will use us to point others to Jesus and that, Lord, you will do your saving work in them. And uh, so, Lord, we, we pray for the success of the, uh, of, of the Christmas events and that, Lord, all these things will be done for your glory and for the good of the souls that come along. We pray that there might be lives changed. Lord, these things are in your hand. And, and while all we can do is invite people, Lord, that's about as much as we can do. You are the one who holds the heart of every man and woman in, in your hand. And we pray, Lord, that you will soften and cool those hearts um, of your people. And that, Lord, you will have, uh, that, that you will, um, will call them into your family and change their lives for good. And so, Lord, as we um, as we look at your word again uh, shortly, we we pray for your presence. We pray for your nearness, and uh, that our hearts and minds might be open to receiving what's being said. We pray, Lord, that it be made a, that by your Spirit that you will apply it and uh, powerfully into our hearts and lives, and that we will benefit from the things that we hear. Lord, we we pray that our eyes won't be taken off, uh, won't be taken away from Jesus. Lord, the only thing that's most likely to um, to be a threat to us is our is our own wandering mind. And so we pray for um, clarity of thought and uh, and concentration tonight. And uh, Lord, we we thank you for all of your blessings. We thank you for all of your goodness. Lord, as undeserving as we are, but the greatest of all, sending the Lord Jesus Christ down to this earth to save sinners. And Lord, we count ourselves among them. Lord, we all know that we, that we have sinned. And Lord, you see the sins that we do day to day. And for these, we ask for forgiveness. We pray, Lord, for a tender heart. We pray, Lord, that we might be able to identify the sins in our lives by, your, by, by the light that shines in us. Lord, we pray that we will turn from our sin, that we will hate it and turn Godward. And, uh, and, uh, and there find all that we've ever needed and wanted. So Lord, bless us now, we pray, with, with your presence. Please take away our sin. Please, um, please be glorified in the way, the way that we worship tonight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to stand and sing again. And this time we're going to sing, The King of Love, my shepherd is, whose goodness fails me never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. Let's stand and sing.
If you'd like to turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians and chapter 11. Now we're picking up where John left off a couple of weeks ago. And you may remember um, John spoke on handling criticism in 2 Corinthians 10. And we're going to start in at the beginning of chapter 11 and we're going to read the first 15 verses. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super-apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a, a sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted, because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Well, John will be preaching to us um, shortly, um, but before he does, we're going to sing one more hymn, and we're going to sing, Fight the Good Fight, with all thy might, Christ is thy strength and Christ thy right, lay hold on life and it shall be thy joy and crown eternally. Let's stand and sing.
So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, this evening. It's probably the last time we've been in 2 Corinthians uh, this year. I guess we'll be picking up again in next year. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And as we've gone through this letter, I've found uh, a lot of fresh lessons. It's a different letter. It's very personal, emotional, um, insightful. I hope you found it helpful so far. And as we've gone along, we have, um, we found out a fair bit about the situation in Corinth, which uh, was facing the believers there. But we get our most concentrated dose about the situation in our passage today. This passage is the one that revealed most about the situation that this letter was written into. Now, the Corinthians were now largely on board with the Apostle Paul. But um, he still feels a sense of the, the magnetism, if you like, of the bad influences that there were on the church. He's concerned, if you like, that the, the roots of the problem aren't fully uh, dug out. And in these chapters that we're going through, 10 to 13, the last stint of the letter, he confronts this false teaching and it sympathises to try and root out the problem, to try and break the magnetism, to keep the church healthy. So as we look at it this evening, I'm hoping that it will strengthen our our understanding, strengthen our our resolve, give us some clarity against uh, false influences that might damage us today. You probably know the the cracker joke, did you know that gullible has been taken out of the dictionary? And some people react and say, has it, has it, has it? But Christians can be prone to be gullible. We can be prone to be led astray. We can be prone to start dropping things we shouldn't and taking up things that aren't right for us to have. So we're going to look at this chapter, chapter 11, or the first 15 verses. And as we do so, we're, we're fine. We're, we're not going to sort of cut it in two halves. It's going to sort of, it's a bit more interwoven than that. But we'll find some things that are a bit about Paul... And we find some things that are a bit about the, the bad influences, the, the super apostles as they seem to know themselves. A bit about Paul and a bit about the super apostles and how they were relating to the Corinthians. And we shall learn some lessons ourselves. Hopefully it will um, set our antennae going against things that might be a bad influence on us. So let's start thinking about... Paul and the Corinthians. Paul and the Corinthians. So this is the the healthy pattern. This is the pattern to enjoy. This is the pattern to follow and to copy. Now Paul cares deeply for the Corinthian believers. We find out a bit more in this passage about what makes him tick towards them, we find out about his motivation, his desire towards them. And uh, the motives of those who are influencing us is pretty key, you know. It's pretty significant. When we think about what's motivating the people that are influencing us. And we, we see um, a couple of things come out in this passage about his 
desire his motivation towards them. And the, the first might seem strange, but it's there, and hopefully you'll get it clear, and I think it, in its way it's quite impressive for us. So what the first one is jealousy. Jealousy. Well, you say, it's a bad thing, jealousy. And it often is a bad thing, and it's shown in the Bible that it can be a bad thing. But it's not always a bad thing, jealousy. It's not always a bad thing. God is jealous about some things. Jealousy is an attribute of God. You can see that elsewhere in the Bible. And here, uh, Paul talks about having a divine, that means a godly, a godlike jealousy towards the Corinthians. It's godlike and it's good. He's jealous that they might remain devoted to God. It's not a jealousy for himself, it's a jealousy, if you like, for God. And he uses the engagement picture. So, uh, a couple of years ago I had a a young man hovering outside my study um, and after a few minutes uh, deliberation um, he popped his head round the corner and wanted a word and uh, it was Morgan and he was asking if he could marry my daughter Gemma. Now I was very pleased and I said yes and uh, he asked her on some coastal area, Cornwall I think, and they're engaged to be married. Now it's a little bit weaker in in our culture than in the Bible culture of the time there, but in a sense I I betrothed Gemma to Morgan. The the father had more say in that society, but uh, it's a sense in which I entrusted Gemma uh, in in their commitment, uh, awaiting that uh, great day of marriage, which, which took uh, it took place later on, a year later than expected, as things turned out because of COVID. But we're awaiting that day. I betrothed. He wanted to marry her. She wanted to marry him. I, I gave my sort of consent in our society in the way that that happens. And Paul is like the bride's father to the Corinthians. So they wanted to be devoted to Jesus. And Paul was involved in a way, if you like, a brokering the deal, encouraging them, presenting them to Christ. And in that culture, the the daughter uh, would have been at home and the father would feel a sense of responsibility particularly to see if it went through and fulfilled the pledge. And uh, if if a bride's father found that uh, his daughter was flirting or, or, or going off with another man, he would be disturbed and sad, he'd feel appalled, perhaps feel let down. He wants her to keep her promise to be faithful. Now the, the Corinthians had been pledged to Jesus and Paul was looking forward to the end of the lives of these Corinthians or when the Lord Jesus came again and they would be presented to Jesus as followers, increasingly holy, presented to Jesus. But because of the bad influences, he sees that that's threatened and he feels jealous on behalf, if you like, of the future husband. So perhaps with that little explanation, you'll understand a bit more verses 2 and 3. There's things in the first verse about foolishness, there'll be things about boasting. I think we'll pick those up at a a later point. Verse 2, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. 
But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So as Christians, we are, if you like, engaged to Christ. We're to be faithful and devoted until the day of perfection. Uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb, that wonderful union in glory. And we want or should want to be a single-minded for Christ. As it says in verse 3, we should want ourselves and other Christians to be sincere and pure in our devotion to Christ. So if you like, you could say jealousy for Jesus. If you're finding yourself confused by this jealousy word, jealousy for Jesus, jealous to to present them to Jesus. Now there is a, a lesson in this, isn't there? A lesson for us in the influence we have on others. If we have an influence over others, but our desire, motivation should be that they are increasingly devoted to Jesus. So it's not about us, it's not about me, it's not about my influence, it's about them and Jesus and wanting them to be increasingly devoted to Jesus. It's a a little bit like that with John the Baptist. You've got the marriage imagery, slightly different. In John chapter 3, verse 28 to 30, You yourselves bear me witness, he said, that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, he sees himself like the best man really, who stands up and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So if we're influencing others, our desire should be, and this is a big challenge, isn't it, for us, that Jesus may increase and we must decrease, that we're jealous for the honour of Jesus, that we want those that we're influencing to be more and more devoted to Jesus. And so, when others who we thought were Christians start to be led astray, I don't just mean they go to another gospel church, but they come under influences that are bad on them, religious influences, philosophical influences, the enticements of the world around, and they start to get drawn, uh, then we're sad. It made me think um, of a a young woman who um, seemed to be a believer, uh, was baptised a good number of years ago, um, got involved with an unwise relationship, somebody who wasn't a Christian, somebody who was actually quite anti-Christian, and um, uh, tugged away. No longer worshipping, it seems. Where, where is that person's faith? And I, I sometimes see the guy involved around Crowborough at times, and how do I feel? Well, I feel, I feel sad. What did I say? I feel jealous for Jesus? I, I don't know as I put it like that. Perhaps I should feel more, but I, I feel sad that, that she who seemed to be devoted to Jesus has been lured away, pulled away, uh, gone astray. And I wanted her to be 
devoted to Jesus, to grow as a strong Christian, to, to see it through, to be healthy, and I don't know where she is spiritually. I hope there are good things happening. So, there's a lesson for about when the influence we have over others, that we should be concerned for them and their devotion to Christ. And maybe that's not as strong as it should be. We're often too selfish, too sensitive about how we're seen, not concerned enough about their relationship with Jesus. And Paul is clearly jealous for their devotion to Christ. But there's also a lesson for us in being influenced by others. We should want to be influenced by. Those who are influencing you, those who are teaching you, those who are guiding you, those that are pushing you, should be those who have a sincere desire for you to grow in your devotion to Jesus. They want you to keep close to Jesus. They want you to stay loyal to him. And if you've got somebody with that going on, their heart influencing you, well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. The other, so that, I hope that's understood a bit of where this passage starts. There's a, a right jealousy for Christ going on in Paul's attitude to the Corinthians. The other um, aspect of his motivation that comes out here is a bit more simple and straightforward, love. It's love. We see it in verse 11 when he's sort of reassuring them against what they're saying. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. Paul loves these Corinthian Christians. And here the the love is partly shown in not charging them. So you may know, that what's the biblical principle about this? Well, there's a clear biblical principle that that somebody who teaches in the way he did is is entitled to be supported uh, 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 so that they can live and carry on uh, devoting themselves to that responsibility. But there are some situations where um, gospel workers forego that right. They deliberately don't allow those that they're serving to support them because it might be misconstrued, it might be seen as greedy, it might be a bad example. So in certain situations, they, they, they don't do that and they, they find their, their means of support from elsewhere. And Paul had felt that was what was demanded as he was in the situation in Corinth. He was serving the people in Corinth and he, he didn't want to depend on their financial support. Instead, he, he had the support of those who were in northern Greece and they were supporting him. It was an act of love. He could have gained from them. He could have got money in from them, but no, out of love he felt, no, that's not what I will do in this situation because I love them. And instead of appreciating it, the Corinthians, because of the influences, started to look down on Paul. They say, look at Paul, he's no speaker. He doesn't even charge any fees. I don't think much of that freebie of a speaker. And they were saying, we, we charge fees, we're prestigious, we're much in demand, we're the sort of speakers you want. You don't want to bother with Paul, the sort of cheap cowboy, speaker and evangelist and theologian, you come, to the, you come to the real McCoy, you come to us. And they were looking down on Paul. Now you might understand a little bit more of verses 7 to 11, where Paul says, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted, because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches 
robbed in inverted commas, other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and I was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia, northern Greece, supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you, God knows I do. This is going, this is going to become plain in the next chapter, so we'll jump to that. 12, verses 14 to 17. You get it a bit more. Here, for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? So do you influence others? Teach, disciple, get alongside. Let it be out of love. Be really concerned for them. Peter said, didn't he? Heard from Jesus. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Love is a great motivation for the things that we do. Are you influenced by others? Especially look for those who've got a loving heart, who really care. Everyone's impure, everyone's imperfect, but look for people who love you. So that's Paul and the Corinthians. That's the good side. That's the side they should keep with. That's the gospel side. But also in these verses you get the imposters. You've got those who are trying to woo away the fiancé, the fiancé, is it from the fiancé? They're trying to woo away the engaged person. They're trying to draw them away. You've got here the super apostles and how they are with the Corinthians. And these are very different. They may have called themselves super apostles, That seems the case from verse 5. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. So they thought a lot of themselves. They may have been exceptional communicators. Verse 6, Paul says, in comparison to them, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not in knowledge. So maybe they had special training in oratory or eloquence. But we see some different things about them and we'll learn from that. We see that they are people who brought deception. They're people who brought deception. Verses 3 and 4. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you've received a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. There was something appealing about them. And there was something appealing, Paul says, 
in the Garden of Eden. The serpent made disobeying God, which was such a travesty, such a disaster, and yet the, the serpent, by his words, made it appealing and attractive. And there was something attractive about these false influences on Corinth. And Satan likes to make bad ideas, bad ways of living, sparkle. He likes to make them attractive. He wants to lure you away with them. There's deception involved. And you see what what was involved here. He was looking to deceive them with something bad. So maybe you've been duped sometimes. You've, you've seen an advert, you know, lose your weight so quickly if you buy this chemical. And it's quite a lot of money. But you think, well, I wouldn't mind that. And you buy the stuff and you take it for a couple of weeks and, well, it's no good. You think you've wasted your money or you'll get rid of spots or your, your backache clears up in no time. You just buy the stuff and you, you, you realise you've been deceived and it doesn't do what it says. You, it's deceptive. And here, they're presenting something to the Corinthians, and this is how serious it is. It's another Jesus. The Jesus we love, the Son of God, the one who died for our sins. It's another Jesus. It's a different spirit. We love the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who points to Christ, who produces holiness, who works in people's lives. It was a totally different spirit as part of this message. It was a different gospel, the gospel that we think of at Christmas as we think of of the good news that comes into the world with Jesus and there was a different good news. It was deceptive. Not just a different shade of emphasis, not just a different view on secondary matters. And when Paul is confronted by serious error, he gets quite animated. He gets quite animated. You see that in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to him, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Often it is a Christ plus gospel. This is very common today religious circles, you need to have Jesus plus. Yes, you need a Jesus, but you also need to trust in something else. You need to have been christened. It's essential. You need to have been circumcised was the issue in Galatia. You need to be a member of this organisation. You need to say this prayer a certain number of times. Your confidence has to be in something else apart from Christ. And it's a different gospel. That's another Jesus, really. And it's deceptive and you want to stay away. You want your your radar bleeping, if that's what you're, you're hearing. You want to trust alone fully in Christ who died on the cross and not put your confidence in what you've done. You can get teachers who seem very nice, very personable, very good PR people. 
You may have heard of Steve Chalk, very presentable when he's on the television. But in his book, The Lost Message of Jesus, he clearly undermines that Jesus died on the cross for sins. It's a different gospel. The alarms have to rattle or ring. Many years ago, the Bishop of Durham at that stage, denying the physical resurrection of Jesus. It's not a small matter. It's another Jesus. It's not the the divine Jesus who rose in power again from the dead. And and it's a different gospel. It's another Jesus. And, And Paul would have been stirred up by it. And we should be stirred up by those sorts of errors. We're told here that such deception often comes in disguise. Such people often come in disguise. So, on Saturday there's a YP banquet, and I understand you've got to come dressed as something in the 80s. Well, there are probably people, when you, when you arrive, and if you've gone, gone for the costume, it'll probably be still pretty obvious that it's you, even if the clothes are different or a bit loud or whatever. But there'll be a bit of disguise. Sometimes you have fancy dress parties, don't you? And, and the, the costumes that people wear are so good. But who's this coming in? Who's, especially if there's a, a mask or hats or coats sort of. And you think, well, actually, who is it? Let's have a look. Who is it? Who is it? And there's a disguise. You, you, you can't see who it is. You can't see the real people. And the people that come with false gospels and bad teaching and bad influence often come in disguise. He says in verse 13, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. See, we need to be careful not to be gullible. If people, they might be teaching something religious, it, there might be things that look good about it, but it might be a disguise that's, that, 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 that's deceiving us. You remember Jesus talked about this wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves in sheep's clothing. It's very picture, big picture language, isn't it? People look harmless, but actually doing a lot of harm. That could be, could be a wolf in a dog collar. Could be a wolf in purple religious robes. It could be a, a wolf in a Baptist pulpit. We need to go back to the Word. We need to see what, that's why we do make quite a big emphasis here about coming back to the Word, going through what the Bible says. It's to keep us, it's to steady us. We're like, we want to be like the Bereans who went back to the Word to see if it was so. And you can see how serious it is from verses 14 and 15. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So it's a horrible thought, isn't it? Fancy dress party. Somebody's come dressed as an angel. Oh, doesn't that look good? It's an angel of light. It's as if there's a, a, around them a, a, a halo effect. You think, oh, I've got somebody special and holy. And, and, and who is that? Who is in there? And it's the devil himself. It's the devil, the, the best costume, the worst person. And Paul says that to make us alert. That just because somebody is religious and can use some religious terms doesn't mean that they're from God and teaching the truth and teaching the gospel. 
You think of that story. Children, little red riding hood. Grandma, what big eyes you have. Well, because it's not grandma, is it? It's a, it's, a, it's a wolf there instead of the grandma. And little red riding hood is in danger. And spiritually, if we find ourselves saying, Grandma, what big eyes you have. There's something wrong, there's something fishy, there's something doesn't match here. Then we need to be very careful and sometimes we need to run off quicker than little red riding hood did. We should be alert to deception. If it doesn't match with the teaching of the word in key important areas, then it won't do us good. Well, we've got a last point under this. The super apostles, deception, disguise, but they also were people involved with damage. We're going a little bit further than where we read in verses 20 and 21. We can see how the distinction between how they behaved and Paul behaved. 20 and 21. So look at it, and you'll see here, some of the things he said, for you bear it with somebody if. So there are five things here, and this is obviously what they were they were like, and Paul's not like, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, that is sort of eats all your goods really, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, expecting lots of respect and applause, or strikes you in the face. It seems as though they were actually sort of physically tough with the Corinthians. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. I didn't do that. I wasn't into those tactics. So these super apostles, five ways, were damaging the Corinthians. Uh, there's a new term that's come in more in uh, recent years. It's the term spiritual abuse. Spiritual abuse. And in some ways I, I get a little bit nervous about such terms because, ironically, these terms are open to abuse. And um, you can start to call it abuse when everyone is, whenever anyone is doing biblical teaching or, or when they give advice or when they give warning. This is part of the danger involved with what some want to make of a new law of conversion therapy and the way in which they want it to be detailed and applied. So there, there, there can be misunderstandings of such a phrase, spiritual abuse. But it does highlight some dangers that those in positions of spiritual authority can be bad with power, can be abusive with power, can damage others with the way in which they use their power. And these super apostles were damaging, using their spiritual authority to exploit, to take advantage. Steer clear of those who damage with their spiritual authority. It's so opposite to what love does. Paul loved and wanted people to be devoted to Christ. They were greedy and wanted people to be devoted to them. Paul wants their purity, if you like. They want their pounds. Paul wants them as followers of Christ's likeness. 
They want them as a, a fan base for themselves and their charisma. Paul wants to bless the Corinthians. These others want to use the Corinthians. So beware of those who move away from the word, deceptive, even in disguise, and lead to damage. Just in concluding, uh, Gary Miller is a, a writer who's written a book on 2 Corinthians, and this is how he summarised this teaching. Maybe you think it might have been better if I'd have gone with his headings. Perhaps you're right. He, he's Australian, so he gets away with being a little bit more straight than I do. He called it, How to be a complete idiot. How to be a complete idiot. And he gives four things from this passage. How to be a complete idiot. One, ignore the people who love you the most. Two, swap truth for lies at every opportunity. Three, be impressed by show. Four, respect those who exploit you. Well, I hope you don't want to be, as he puts it, a complete idiot, a fool. You'll be a fool if you ignore the people who love you the most. If you swap truth for lies at every opportunity. If you're impressed by show. If you respect those who employ, exploit you. So, quite involved this passage, trying to understand what was happening there. I hope it's a bit plainer. But I think you're also sensing it. There are some pretty strong warnings for us to stick close to truth, to love God's word, to influence well and to be influenced well. I hope God makes it helpful to you now and in the future. Amen. Well, we'll have our closing our song. O church, arise and put your armour on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. Let's stand to sing our last song.
Well, just as we stand before I pray, let's give thought to the way we influence others and whether we want them to be close to Christ, devoted to him, and whether we have love. And let us think about the influence that others have on us and whether we're picking influences which are true, wholesome and healthy or deceptive, disguised and damaging. So, have a time of prayer before I close. Heavenly Father, where we are an influence on others, we pray to be concerned that Jesus increases and that we decrease, that we want them to be blessed and close to Christ. We pray to have love in our hearts. We pray for for forgiveness for the way in which we are inadequate and poor and sometimes mixed in our motives in helping others. Lord, we do pray for those whose influence we come under and whose influence we choose, that you would help us to be discerning and not gullible. Help us to love truth, to love your word, to love the gospel, to love to have Jesus magnified. Help us to realise where that's been significantly undermined. Make us wary. Give us good radar. Help us to be spared damage and others to be spared damage. We thank you for the wonder of truth and the gospel and the Holy Spirit and we pray that we will love these things. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.